Howdy, howdy do, Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 318. Exterminate! One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective view, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years, and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes, and it's about time that I did something about that. A bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, hey, hey. Hope you are keeping well, safe and healthy. Welcome to another episode. I bet you've had a cracking week. Oh, that you've managed to do something Doctor, Doctor Who, Who related. Related. Welcome back. It is, of course, another week. And a pretty cool week. We've had some... We finally had something. <laughs> yeah. Something new. Hurrah. From, from Doctor Who. Hurrah, indeed. Yeah. Which is nice. It's always nice to have that. Because I've completely forgotten about it, if I'm being honest with you. I saw a few tweets about an hour before the Comic-Con panel started. I was like... Oh, crap. That's today. Completely forgotten. Yes. So it's nice to have something, albeit, as usual, because it's Chibbers, something very tiny, but it's still nice <laughs> to have uh, to have something. So, yes. How has your week been, dude? You done anything Doctor Who-y? Yeah, well, I, I will talk about the, the panel and the trailer and stuff in the news, so I'll, I'll save my thoughts for then. Um, but, uh, yeah, apart from that, apart from watching those and... With uh, this week's story being a six-parter, I haven't done a, a great deal. I, I'm continuing to read my, my Liz Sladen biography, which I'm really enjoying. Cool. Read a bit of that last night. Um, it's quite weird, actually, because I'm only a few chapters in, and a lot of it's she talks about Liverpool and Manchester. Like This is so weird, because I've just been there. So that's that's quite nice. Um, I met a few Who friends at the weekend. who we went to Canary Wharf, which was good. Uh, Matt and Liv, um, and Ad, and Beef. So that was cool. So, Thank yeah, you. good to... Oh, beefy. So good to chat to some Who friends at the weekend. And um, yeah, it's weird because obviously we, they BBC have been publicising this panel 
and we hoped we'd get a trailer. We did. We weren't sure. Um, so there was sort of this, but you know, there's a bit of a buzz going around. And um, obviously, we talked a lot about Doctor Who. But like you, I'd go by Sunday. I suppose I was a bit hung over, and I sort of got home and I was thinking, oh, oh yeah, there's a panel on today. So it's quite cool. It's like something to sort of uh, get my teeth into because you know it was a bit of a sort of um, you know when you've been out and had a good night out, and then the Sunday you just trolling home and there's nothing to do and i was like oh i've got that panel to look forward to later but i don't know about you i, I kept checking the tweets from bbc uh the bbc twitter and i was like well where they, they weren't saying where you could watch it it's like where's the link i was like you keep on about this panel but where is it like there was no sort of info where to, you could watch it so i was constantly sort of trying to find it i, I got like the youtube up on the tv and <laughs> i found the comic con whatever it was where they you know uh their youtube page but there was nothing on there about a live stream so i was quite confused right up to the last minute when they finally put a link but yeah so anyway i'll talk about my thoughts on that when we when we get to the news i haven't really done anything else um i am very pleased that the bfi uh, have just announced they're going to be doing a screening of evil of the daleks uh, the new animated version uh which i think is going to be in september so that's cool. I'm glad the BFI events are rocking and rolling, and um, fingers crossed I can get a ticket for it. Uh, I mean, after the last time, I just don't know. I'll obviously try, but yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure what to expect from that, because it's seven parts, isn't it, uh, Evil, I think. That's a lot of animation, and I know they always say like the budgets for these are really tight, and they can't afford to do certain scenes because they're too complicated and they can't afford them. So I hope it's going to be good because seven, it is seven parts. Isn't it? it is seven parts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I think I've seen, have they released a clip for it or am I getting confused with something else? Cause there's been a few animations recently. Anyway. Yeah. I'm hoping that's good. And uh, it's always good to see things on the big screen. So I'll be keeping my eye on that. Hopefully, even if I don't go, um, our roving reporter, Maria, I hope she gets a ticket at least so uh, <laughs> she can do a report on it. Um, I'll probably just go for the drinks if I can't get, manage to get a ticket. <laughs> well, we'd need a drink after that, dude. I think it's going to be, what, two and a half hours? Oh, that's just for the, because they normally have like interviews as yeah, well and, yeah. and show extra bits. Yeah, I hope they have a toilet break going to be a long one well it's probably more than that it's two hours 45 minutes ish for the just the animation and then yeah the panels and everything crikey it's good it's they, good though but yeah it's long isn't it I, I hope the bbc have given them enough time to work on these i remember when we went to see power of the daleks at the bfi did you go to that one one of the earlier was that like the first fully animated one they did power i can't remember dude um it was a while so. but i mean it's a few years yeah. ago but i remember like they got the team you know the animated team up on stage to talk about it and they were saying like you know they were giving hardly any time and they were really pleased with what they managed to do in the time given but there was um there was a couple of bits where they said oh you know it really annoys us when that we didn't have time to correct that bit i think it was a bit where Charlton has two hands in one shot because they didn't notice you know they didn't have time to correct it so i think that's why they reissued it recently wasn't it they sort of went back and and uh, did a, a second version of the animated one that were given a bit more time. So, yeah, I'm hoping this, I'm just hoping it's good because I've, I've been looking forward to evil coming out in some form mm -hmm. for a long time. I think it's regarded as, as an absolute belter of a story. So, I, I, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've had a quiet week as well, dude. I've obviously watched, uh, watched our Hartnell story. Yeah. For this <laughs> week and... Uh, Watch the Comic-Con panel, obviously. 
Obviously, yeah. Obviously, uh, yeah, it's been me, mate. Yeah. Yeah, not much going on. So, before we crack on with the news, though, if you are coming back and listening to this show uh, as a long-time listener, thank you for coming back. It's good to have you here, the old grizzled ancients, the mm. long-timers. Uh, if this is your first time listening to us, or recently, then it's great to have you here as well. Uh, if you'd consider uh, following or subscribing to our show on whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on, that'd be amazing. And you also won't miss a show when it lands every single Friday. We are on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can search for us on there. We chat Doctor Who throughout the week. Come and get involved in that. And you can find links to those things on the website as well, which is www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. And uh, also on there, you can listen to every episode for free too, if you want to listen to stuff in your browser. And we also have all of our... Uh, really cool reviews and articles that go out from our writing team. And recently we had uh, Jordan reviewing the Doctor Who, the wonderful Doctor of Oz book, which sounds rather interesting. We had uh, Jordan also reviewing uh, Doctor Who, the Robots Volume 4 from Big Finish. And we also had our new writer, Matt, his first review. It was for The Lonely Assassins, the video game review. Uh, which was very cool. And that got some really good interest as well. We had the developers who made the game, they uh, retweeted his review and we were talking to them. So it's all really good. So some great stuff over there. And we have a free Discord server as well. Again, there's a link on the website. Come and jump over there. Chat Doctor Who with lots of other cool Doctor Who fans. And lastly, remember to check out Adam's channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Yes, indeed. Yeah, go have a look at my vids. And I'm on all the socials. Love the... Well, I love most of the socials. Got to get myself on TikTok, mate. I need to go and make a few million. You keep saying TikTok. TikTok, dude. Just jump. Just just do it. Just, I've, yeah, just do it. I've been saying I'm not going anywhere near it, and then I just keep seeing people are making a fortune. Got to get on there. <laughs> <laughs> you tempted? Um, Blue box TikTok. What, been... I don't even know what it is. That's the problem. I don't even understand it. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I'm no expert, but I think it's like a mix of Instagram and Twitter. And right. um, What was the other one that was... Uh, that was um, big a few years ago. Maybe still is big. I don't know. There's another one. What's not what's. Uh, oh, um, not. Oh, what was it called? You know not the one. Tum- I mean. Not Tumblr. Not Tumblr. No. Um, oh. oh, that's annoying me now. Um, Snapchat. Snapchat. That's the one. Oh, yeah. I think it's a combo of those things. I think it's like a combo of Snapchat and Instagram mainly. So actually, if um, if you're listening to this and you you use TikTok and you think a, a big blue box TikTok would be good, let us know. We might do it. Who knows? See, see the old Snapchat. I remember that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sorry if uh, I did. Did the trailer just blast out while you were doing your? No. Oh, okay. I accidentally no. clicked on a trailer <laughs> and it nearly blew my ears off. And I thought, oh, I didn't, didn't know if it'd come through while you were doing your thing. So, yeah, just gearing up for the news. Oh, as no. always. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> let's land it and do some news, bud. All righty. So the obvious one that's on everybody's social feeds and conversations for the last few days has been the new teaser trailer and Comic-Con panel from Comic-Con this year done virtually of course we're still not out of the woods of being able to spend the bbc studios good money and fly them over to san diego to uh 
to do that stuff. So a virtual panel, we had the Chibinator, we had Jody, Mandip, and um, the new character, Dan, played by the stand-up comedian, John Bishop, which was good. And then we also had the... Remember when they were leading up to the panel about a week or so before they said there was going to be a special guest that was going to join them as well? So that was... um, an actor who uh, I think had been sort of most well known up to this point anyway um, in Game of Thrones. Yeah. And it was the actor I've spoken about being unprofessional and now I don't have the information to hand. <laughs> I don't know his name. Sorry. Um, uh, yes, it was. It was. It was. <laughs> oh man i'll come back to it. anyway we had a, a guy that's going to um uh, appear i think he said or one of them said that he's actually in it for more than one episode yeah it's going to be a recurring character yes which leads on to something that we'll talk about in a second but leads mm. on to a bit of a change up in the storytelling for this season mm, yes this series so <laughs> what did you think first of all let's let's start at the end and then we'll rewind. So what did you think of the actual teaser? Because it was only one of those 40-second, 30-second-odd teasers. But what did you think to that? Well, I'm glad we got a teaser because um, I think everyone was expecting a trailer. And like we said, it would be just like the BBC to, to not give us one the way things have been going. So I'm glad we got one. Um, it, it looks good. I think I'd agree with the majority of people. It doesn't give anything away at all. Um, so there isn't an awful lot to get my teeth into with the trailer i've got to be honest it's mostly uh reaction headshots there's no monsters in there i mean i i know it's a teaser not a full trailer but i think i was expecting after you get all the quick shots i was expecting at least you know like right at the very end you to get like a glimpse <laughs> of a sontaran or, or just i thought they're building up to it. it's gonna we're just gonna you know it's gonna build up to this one shot at the end or something but we didn't see any monsters at all. And that kind of, yeah, I kind of felt like it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. There's nothing wrong with the teaser, but it just is just that really. It's just a teaser. It didn't really give me much to get my teeth into, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, it, it got me a little bit excited for the new series. I have to say, because my enthusiasm for the show has is, is really dwindled of late. Like, mm. I've got to be honest. So it did pick me up. It made me think, Oh, you know, this looks quite fun. Um, and I'm very intrigued to see how Dan fits into it all and, and the new dynamic. Like there's a scene where I think it's him anyway that's falling onto the floor and Yaz goes, hello, mate, or something. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. And this, yeah. So I don't know. It, it, it piques me interest, which is, I guess, what it was designed to do. But it's very typical of Chibbers. I mean, we've seen all the filming photos. We know that certain monsters are coming back. I think you could have included just, even if it was like a, a really quick shot that you had to freeze frame to get the internet going crazy. You could have put one in there, but yeah, I'm intrigued with the new character as well. The guy whose name we, we don't know. I mean, when, when they announced special guest from game of Thrones, my immediate reaction was, Oh, it's not a shielder. Is it? (laughs) I suppose they're not bringing back me. (laughs) Are they? Oh yeah. Um, I forgot. yeah. Yeah. But then my other thought was I don't watch game of Thrones. So if it isn't her, I'm probably not going to know them anyway, unless it's um, grumpy old Jon Snow, because he's the only other 
uh, actor that I'm even remotely aware of connected to Game of Thrones uh, because I think I saw him in a terrible film years ago. So I thought I'm probably not going to know who this special guest is. <laughs> and um, sure enough, um, when they announced him, I I didn't have a clue. <laughs> Who he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Uh, when they said Game of Thrones actor, I thought it was going to be Kit Harrington who played Jon Snow. And my wife oh, was. Oh, Jon Snow the character, not the actor's name. Yeah. <laughs> You're joking. I've been calling him Jon Snow for years. Yeah, that's the that character just... name. He's brilliant on Channel 4 News. <laughs> that's all I know. <laughs> yeah. So my, my wife was sat next to me watching it as well. And when they said that bit from Game of Thrones, mm. she immediately said, It's Kit Harrington which would have been cool. Anyway, this guy, and if you're listening to this and you're screaming at us as usual, the name of the person, it's cool. I've now got it. Jacob Anderson. He was in Game of Thrones and uh, he's going to be playing this character called Vinder. And they've released a couple of promo shots and we see him in costume and stuff. He looks very badass, very cool. So that's going to be cool. And uh, one thing that, so, um, I don't need to talk too much on this one because the teaser is very short. And like you said, they haven't revealed anything that what they what they spoke about in the in the panel. So fortunately, it was John Bishop doing a lot of the talking. He was talking a lot around how he got involved in the show, how his character has progressed uh, a little bit across this first season, and how he got on well with all the cast and the crew. And um, although he got on well with everybody, he said that because of the pandemic he doesn't actually recognize a lot of the crew members because mm-hmm. everyone's in face mask all the time all that stuff it was good uh, but the teaser itself um yeah there's just not a lot in it <laughs> uh, which is you know usual par for the course i think these days for doctor who under under the the regime of uh, of chris chibbers so yeah there's a couple of cool scenes it does look it it's got that very cool mix of humor and mm. you can see there's some emotional stuff coming up you can see Yaz screaming or shouting at the doctor, like you're hiding something, and she's got that sheepish look on her face and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. So it does look cool. Uh, but the thing with the um, with the teaser is that it's that same old ruddy thing with Chibbers, because uh, again, my wife said to me, she said, "So is this going to be a proper trailer? Then are we going to find out?" Um, I can't remember what she said. She's like, "Because you lot," <laughs> referring to like who fans. She's like, "You lot, <laughs> you lot haven't seen anything for ages, have you? So you're going to get a proper trailer." I was like, "Probably not," and we're probably not going to get anything out of this panel either. Because I then went on to tell her that Chris Chibnall's very secretive; he doesn't like to reveal hardly anything at all. And she was like, "Well, why would he do that?" And I'm like, "Look, let's not go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> let's not do that." Which got me thinking about something we've come into a second, but. Uh, the thing with the panel is that it's almost it, it's got this very almost awkward feel about it. Yeah, it did. Yeah, which is kind of which. Yeah, I'm not going to go down any negative path. Don't get me wrong, because it was great to have some Doctor Who news and, and an mm. update and everything. So that was great. It's just that every time that either Jodie Mandip or John were talking about something, they weren't looking at the person who was moderating the panel, who was hosting it. They were no. always shooting looks over to Chris Chibbers, like with yeah. that nervous kind of. It, there was one point, even when Mandip was saying, "Yeah, and in this episode, we're we're dealing with an old monster," and she's looking at Chibbers the whole time, and you can see him doing this kind of little approving nod, like, "Yep, mm. that's as much as you can say." And it got to the point where Nat was just like, "This is ridiculous." 
It's like you've not had anything for so long and um, you're not getting anything either. All you're getting is this very kind of, uh, all we got was this like stuff that we'd already read about in interviews with John Bishop and stuff like that. It was just retreading the ground. You know, the only one bit of um, stuff that we did get revealed, which I thought was very cool, which I'm quite excited about was this change up in the storytelling where Chibbers did say we could have gone one of two ways with it. We could have just done a bunch of mini uh, individual isolated stories, or we could go all in and do this big arc kind of approach which they've gone with, which sounds very cool. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll go back to those really cool um, cliffhangers that lead us on throughout the series as we go through each episode. So that was very cool um, yeah. that they're changing it up a little bit. But overall, not a bad panel. It was just very much, okay, you know, the stuff that they're talking about, we already know, really. This is That's been spoken about in previous interviews and, and, and reveals and, and stuff like that. So... Not not amazing, but still very cool that we've got something, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of the, the teaser trailer, I was glad it wasn't just a two-second clip. Like, do you remember when we... I think it was when Captain Jack... Remember that Captain Jack clip that they showed for Rev, Revolution or whichever oh, dancer yeah. it was? You know, so I was, I was not going to give us one of those. So I'm grateful that we got more than that. We got a minute trailer. Um, I found it odd that they used the same clip twice. I thought... Is that an error? Is that is this trailer been really rushed, or is that meant to be like that? Because if it's meant to be like that, it's really odd to use the same clip <laughs> twice in the trailer. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that we got something at least that was more than just a, you know, blink and you'll miss it clip. So that's that's good. The the panel itself, I I absolutely agree with you. Like Chipper's, I found it a bit hard going if I'm honest, because it was 40 minutes long. It felt like an hour to me because <laughs> I, I, by, by about 20 minutes in, I was I was starting to get a little bit, come on, guys. And it was very much because you knew that they couldn't say anything, really. So you were like, I've got 20 minutes left. I kind of get the feeling I'm not going to get much more from this. And it's just the fact that, yeah, Chippers was sat at the end like this sort of demon headmaster just, just watching over them. It's a bit like, I don't know, a bit like having your dad at the end of the line just watching your p's and q's like you know they you could like you said it felt almost a bit tense didn't it there was mm. a lot of nervous giggling wasn't there like every time it, oh, there was loads of nervous like laughter and like it did feel a little bit tense i mean john bishop seemed probably the most relaxed and um he does seem like a really nice guy i, I he does drone on a bit <laughs> no offense john but i mean i do i do like him i'm quite excited to see him in it and i'm excited for jacob anderson as well i think this character i like the look of the character i think you know they revealed this promo pick and he looks pretty cool someone pointed out he does have a resemblance in a way to jack he's got like that cool little pop gun and you know it looks like he could be a fun sort of character so i am excited for him even though i've never heard of him i thought he came across very well mm-hmm. in his little clip he did a little um pre-recorded little video didn't he for mm-hmm. the for the panel and i thought he came across really well that he genuinely just seemed full of enthusiasm um but i i actually felt a little sorry for jody i felt like she was hardly got to say anything i mean i, I know it was pre-recorded so they may have cut things out i don't know but i kept thinking mm. 
there was a, there was about ten minutes in, and I thought Jerry Blesser has hardly said anything. Like John Bishop, when he tells a story, he he does go on, doesn't it? His stories can go on a bit, mm-hmm. and I was thinking like Mandip chipped in a few funny bits. I was just like, come on, Jodie, get get in there. Um, and she did. I mean, <laughs> her and Matt, they, they clearly get on very well. And I think that's good. You know, there's a good chemistry between the three of them. Mm-hmm. The, but the problem is that worries me, though, because I remember when Series 11 was announced and Jodie, and do you remember they did that big uh, Comic-Con panel in front of an audience? And um, it was like the first one they did. And it was Jodie Mandip, uh, Tosin, and I think Bradley, I can't remember if he was there. And I remember saying to you, like, how excited I was for Series 11, because I was like, yeah. oh, the chemistry with these guys. Like, they, if we, you know, if we get any of that on screen, we're in for a belter of a new Doctor and a new series. And I was genuinely very excited, and I don't think we really did get that chemistry between them. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that there's a bit more chemistry translates from the Rupert. Because Mandip seems really good fun uh, in interviews. You know, she comes across really, really well. But I don't really see much of that on screen. I'm thinking, I think, you know, a bit like Jodie, we should see a bit more of them, really, because they, they actually seem better than their characters um, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time. Because mm-hmm. I'm slightly worried about Yaz's progression. I'll be honest with you. I, even going from the teaser, I know we didn't get anything, but there's that bit where she's like, you're hiding something from us. And I'm thinking, I hope they're not going to make Yaz like this nagging housewife just constantly you know don't don't make her nagging and and moaning all the time you know i don't we don't want another perry no offense like perry but you know we don't want another don't turn her into this grumpy you know let's see some of that fun that mandip herself seems to 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 have i think so yeah a little bit worried about that yeah i kind of see that dude it's um Mm. but that's just the uh that's just the stuff you have to deal with from a writing perspective you have to get that stuff right you know because otherwise you end up with um that that's like a you're inviting fans to just trash that character then for Mm. the whole series it feels like because um you know as we were going through previous series where we were saying that um graham looks bored through a lot of the episodes you know he's standing around a lot hands in pockets not doing much or Ryan, um, you know, for the same reason. Once that starts, it then becomes a snowball effect. So by the end of the series, you have everybody saying, well, yeah, it's great that they're leaving because they've done sod all yeah. for the past, you know, X amount of episodes or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully she doesn't become the the kind of matriarch figure of the TARDIS team because really, I mean, like we've said the last couple of series, it really should be Jodie who's leading everything. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. And that's something that's maybe suffered a little bit in the last two series where sometimes it's somebody else saving a day, which is not a bad thing every now and then. Mm. You know, it's not a bad thing. But And then in this panel as well, you make a very good point, dude, because in this panel as well, she's even taken the back seat in this. You know, the majority of questions were aimed at understandably John Bishop because he's brand new and there's a bit of excitement there, but even, you know, Mandip and Chibbers, you know, they're talking a lot and stuff and she's just giggling a lot. She's just laughing and nodding and stuff like that. So we'll see, man. I think it's, uh, I, I personally, I personally think this will be the best series that we've seen from Jodie because I honestly feel like the, just having that additional person as a companion, having three companions 
it really does make it difficult to give everybody a decent chunk of something to do in mm. each story. And then on top of that, you've got Jodie, who doesn't seem like she's... We, I, I don't feel like we've seen the, the strongest side of her yet still. I still think there's more to to see there. But it's difficult to do that when you've got all the other companions, you know, doing that yeah. stuff. There's other factors involved and stuff like that. But personally, I feel like the dynamic is going to be a much needed shift between um, having Ryan and Graham and Yaz all together. Because uh, they had some weight, didn't they? They had some baggage to carry, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I think having the dynamic shift between that and having now just Dan and Yaz, I think that's going to be really just a much better way of giving them each something a bit to do, a bit more bants, a bit more room to breathe and let Jodie just shine through a little bit more, hopefully. So I think this will be the best series out of hers, I think. I, I hope so. I, I I hope so because I, yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be a bit like uh, Peter Capaldi's series 10 in that he, they just seem to, you know, I, I mean, I love Peter as the doctor, but I felt like they kept, like we've said, they kept changing his doctor, didn't they? Like he was very different in series nine to series eight um, and mm. series 10. They just seem to f- absolutely nail, you know, this, this lovely sort of mix of slightly irascible, but, but, you know, a really nice sort of character warmth to the Doctor underneath. And I'm hoping the same things with Jodie. I think she's, for me, sort of, I don't know, just been very uneven. Um, I would say struggled to sort of find her her definitive sort of take on the Doctors yet. Um, she's had some good moments, but I'd like to think, yeah, in this next series, she really gets into the character. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that. I'm hoping I get to the end of it and say, do you know what, I really enjoyed those eight episodes. They were, you know, it was a good series. And, um, I think that's that's the reason I'm quite excited about the fact it's going to be one long story because mm. Chibnall, I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't know, his writing is very hit and miss, but he was great at Broadchurch, which was that sort of style, wasn't it? It was a one sort of story. Exactly. Yeah. And I think yeah. maybe this will suit his writing better. And, um, and I like the idea of cliffhangers as well. Uh, which he said we're going to get a lot of cliffhangers, didn't we? So, yeah, I, I've, I'm definitely, um, what's the word? The opposite to pessimistic. <laughs> optimistic. Yeah. Optimistic. I'm definitely optimistic about this series, and I definitely had my interest peaked a little bit more because, as I said, I was just really wasn't <laughs> getting too bothered at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to it. And um, I like the fact they've just adapted the fact that, you know, covid we've, we can only make a certain amount of episodes let's try something different um it does give it a fresh feel to it i think mm-hmm. so i hope that yeah i hope that's what we get um agreed yeah. dude mm. completely agree with that stuff yeah so in a nutshell it's great that we've had some news and update i th- i'm i think this is going to be a good series mainly for that um reason that you just spoke about where chibbers is more suited i think to having that ongoing story rather than trying to make an epic every episode, which kind of falls flat some of the time. It does make me wonder, is uh, is he writing the whole thing? Or is there, have we had any writers announced for it yet? Because like, that's the other thing I don't know. I don't know if other people are writing it with him or what. Yeah, we did, didn't we, a while ago. Did we? All um, oh, right, okay. Yeah, I think there's a, a few people that are returning from uh, the previous uh, one, I think, anyway. Um, yeah. But I'm pretty sure that was announced more like last year, even. I wasn't sure if it was like a writer's room that they were doing for this series or if it was 
Chibnall taking full reign or what. But uh, yeah, either way, I like the sound of a, a different approach to it. I think it's good to freshen things up. And like you just said about the companions, a new dynamic there as well, I think is going to help uh, freshen yeah. it up as well. Yeah. 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 So Maxine Alderton or Alderton, she's coming back. She wrote The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. She's yeah. back. Ed Heim, he wrote It Takes You Away in Orphan 55. He's back. Um, and then there's a couple of other people as well that are, I'm sure they were announced a, a while, a while ago. But yeah, so I think they'll do a mix of new writers and some returning people. Uh, and then just very quickly, just to finish up on this, um, we got that little mystery thing that's been going on. So at the end yeah. of the trailer, um, you had to sort of blink and you miss it. No pun intended. There was the word mystery. You click on that. It takes you to the official Doctor Who website, doctorwho.tv forward slash mystery forward slash underscore uh, and then there's this password and it just says welcome to a mystery across space and time work together to solve the hidden clues and reveal a password below with the hashtag find the doctor and then below that it just says it begins and it's got 13 semicolon 13.13 and apparently no one's been able to solve the riddle just yet no one's been able to, mm. to do it so let us know if you crack that uh riddle that'd be good to find out what that's i was going to say is it maybe the password swarm but uh, no it's too long because that was where they asked um each of them to sum up the series in one word chibnall said swarm what does that mean yeah swarm so that's i wonder if that plays into it somewhere i don't know yeah not sure um mm. yeah not for sure it's a typo on the website but the word hidden the first d is capitalized so I'm not mm. sure if that plays into it at all. Anyway, it's a big old thing. If you go on Twitter and just put that hashtag, find the doctor, there's loads of people tearing their hair out <laughs> trying to solve <laughs> it, which is kind of cool in a way. So Yeah, I like stuff like that. That's, that's pretty cool. Yes. Right then. No more news to speak of. So it's on to our review. And dude, what have we got this week? Well, we're going back, going back to the early days uh, with the William Hartnell story featuring the Daleks called The Dalek Invasion of Earth. Here we are, standing by the Thames, and uh, we've been here quite a while. Well, what have we heard? Mm. Nothing. Precisely nothing. Exterminate him! Exterminate him! They dare to tamper the forces of creation. Yes, they dare. And we have got to dare to stop them. We are the masters of India. I tell you, this bomb will destroy the Daleks. I know. It will work. Obey us or die. Die? And just who are you to condemn us to death, hmm? Arrange for the extermination of all human beings. Now! Grandfather's old now. He, he needs me. What is it that the Daleks want on Earth? I should say that's near murder, isn't it? Hmm? We are the masters of I am a robo person. <laughs> Acting school has prepared me well for this role. 
The Dalek Invasion of Earth, eh? Oh, yes. It was first broadcast back on the 26th of December, so a nice treat on Boxing Day back in 1964. And then the last part went out. Uh, Nope, that's a complete lie. Apologies. The first um, episode went out on the 21st of November, 1964, and the last episode all finished up on Boxing Day, uh, 26th of December, same year. It was written by Terry Nation. With a small rewrite, I think, at the end, if uh, my notes are correct. Uh, the um, the the last bit where Susan was leaving and, you know, that whole bit, that was written by David Whittaker. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. So David Whittaker was the script editor on it, and I think he wrote that last bit. But Terry Nation is credited as the writer for the story. Produced by Verity Lambert and stars... Um, uh, obviously, William Hartnell was the Doctor, and then Caroline Ford, William Russell, and Jacqueline Hill. And then a reasonably sized supporting cast. And then the synopsis is very short uh, for this one, or the official synopsis anyways, uh, which is the TARDIS returns to London. However, it's the 22nd century. With bodies in the river and quiet in the Docklands, the city is a very different place. The Daleks have invaded, and it's up to the Doctor to thwart them once again. So that's a short synopsis. Essentially, there was a meteor shower. The Daleks arrived shortly afterwards and have taken over everything. The humans are now slaves, working in the mines to dig a big old tunnel down to the Earth's core because the Daleks want to send a bomb down there to explode it. Um, blah, blah, blah. So what do you think to this little meaty six-parter then, dude? <laughs> yeah, um, I, th- I think it's a great... Um follow-up to the the first dalek story with hartnell because it it takes the daleks into a you know a different place like in the first dalek story they were kind of trapped in their little city weren't they rolling around on magnetic floors and stuff so i think this is a really nice um follow-up to that the good progression of the daleks um i can only imagine what it was like being a kid back in 1964 seeing the daleks actually on location um on the streets of London near Big Ben uh, and uh, coming out of the Thames, it must have been magical. And um, I would imagine quite, bring, you know, making the Daleks feel even more real to a child back then because it's actually seeing them in the real world. So um, if I was to sort of plant myself down in 1964 watching this, I think I would have just absolutely loved it um it, it there is no doubt that there is a bit of padding it is six episodes it does run out of steam i think it's episode five when we get this strange <laughs> <laughs> slither is it the slither the slither oh yeah the, the black daleks pet. oh I'd, yep. I'd forgotten about that it's so funny because I, I just had completely forgotten about that um and then i saw it i was like oh good grief and i'm sure we got a I'm sure we had something similar in the first Dalek story, didn't we? Around episode seven or something. There was like this swamp creature when they were sort of trying to get to the city. And I thought, you know, Terry Nations almost starts telling the same stories. Like, okay, I've got to pad this out. So we'll we'll have a couple of episodes where they're trying to get somewhere. So it it does start getting a bit similar to that. But um, yeah, despite the padding, I I think it's a, a good story. I love this idea that the Daleks are on Earth. Um, They've invaded Earth that you've got, you know, the humans hiding underground, terrified, trying to fight back. Um, the Rover men are a great idea. Obviously, they, they're not realised very well on screen, which is a shame. Um, 
in terms of production, it, it is very hit and miss. I, even though I really like it, there are some you can just tell that they've really made the effort with so so much of it, and then other bits like the Robomen sort of let it down because like the sets, right? So it, the very first shot is location of the Roverman going into the Thames. And then we cut to the TARDIS landing, which is on a set. And uh, they've really replicated that, that um, you know, location so well in terms of the detail. You can tell that they've put a lot of effort into it. And, uh, you know, a lot of the sets are pretty good, like the Dalek spaceship, you know, the outside of it, although it looks dated now, looks, you know, looks what I can imagine would look great then when they come rolling out of the ufo kind of gets ruined then when you see the ufo flying across the you know model flying across on string so it's, it's like half the production they've really really gone to town you've got all the location work looks fantastic and then you've got other bits like the flying saucer and the rover men which just you know look and sound terrible so the actual production is a bit of a mishmash unfortunately but um yeah i really like it i think the performance is save it in terms of any sort of downside i've got for the story i think the performances for the cast are, are great in it i think it's a very good storyline as well i really like the actual concept of the story um and i've grown to really love this story from when i first watched it as well because the problem was i saw the cushion movie first um before i ever saw this and i loved the cushion movie uh, Dalek Invasion of 2150 AD. I absolutely loved it. So when I finally got round to seeing this original version, it obviously didn't hold up as well. And f- for a while, I was disappointed. You know, I thought, oh, no, it's not It's not as good. It's nowhere near as good as I thought it would be. But I tell you, over, over the years, as I've watched it more and um, just appreciated it f- for what it is, I, I think it's a great story. Yeah. Bit of padding, but I think it's a great story. Hmm. And I'm oh, I'm going to jump the gun, but I just have to say how much I love Hartnell in it. I apps he's <laughs> so good in this story. Mm. Mm. Oh, I know we'll get on to him later, but yeah. I just have to say how much I loved him in it. <laughs> yeah, he's quite funny in this one. He is. He's brilliant. Yeah, a lot of a lot of that. Mm. Mm. Yes. Mm. And, and uh, there's always a scene where I think, oh, this would be the bit where I wish we were sat together watching these. There's a bit where he's whacking some <laughs> rover man over the head of a stick. Yeah, he comes out he's, of the uh, tunnel, doesn't he? And yeah. he's up for it straight away. He's yeah. really going for it. I thought, oh, we'd be if we were together watching this, we'd be dying right now. <laughs> yeah, he's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with most of what you said, dude. It's probably yeah. um, I, I do agree. It's a bit paddy because it's six parts. So the the beginning as the it's a very common thing for these old things when you watch them all together. Anyway, yeah, because I watched it three and three. I think you did so, the same. Yeah. So did I, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So the beginning part of it's very cool, and then it just yeah, sort of coasts a little bit in the middle. But then at the end, it it picks up cool, and but it does have a a kind of um, to me, it's got like one of like a, an old war movie feel to it for me. Um, there's a there's a, a load of old black and white World War Two or World War One films where it's kind of like that espionage kind of thing. Anyone that's seen Where Eagles Dare, the classic. Where, war movie with um uh, clint eastwood and some other people and stuff such a good film it, it mm. reminds me of those kind of old films where it's like behind enemy lines basically where it, the, the the enemy has taken over they're in control and there's like a little resistance movement and the doctor and the companions are part of that and 
And it re- that it really reminds me of that when you have um, Barbara and one of the other characters that she teams up with. Jenny, I think. Uh, Jenny, sorry, yeah. yeah. And uh, they go off and they're hiding from the Daleks. You can't be seen out on the street and stuff and from these robo-men and... And uh, they hide out in this little shelter, but they get they get grassed on by the people so they can get some more food mm. and stuff like that. And yeah, it's got that really lovely old um, uh, kind of yeah sort of war espionagey kind of feel to it. Um, and one thing I also like is the progression of the Daleks at this point. So even though we are uh, crikey, is this class of series two officially? I think it is. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So even though we're just two series in, and this is the like the next story on from the Daleks from series one, I think, uh, we're already getting that kind of uh, progression with the Daleks themselves. So even even though we're not at that point yet where we're talking about Scaro a lot or um, Davros or any of that stuff, mm. we're still getting this sort of hierarchy being shown to us within a Daleks, aren't we? So we, we're starting to see um, like the Supreme Controller, the Saucer Commander, all that sort of thing. So the Daleks are really good. And also their their plan as well is a proper big epic plan with a lot of threat there because essentially the humans are on the ropes, right? They're, uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're basically either dead, slaves, or they've been changed in a Cybermen-esque style converted into these robo people so it's really down to this very small band of people that fair play to them in london they're saving the world from london which is really refreshing because decades later when we get these big epic hollywood films about alien invasion it's always somehow the american army are saving the world or the u.s air force or some action hero that's in america is saving the day Mm. no disrespect if you're listening from the u.s we love you um, but to, to have, um, you know, an old school kind of British uh, sort of contingency leading the, the charge, if you like, is very cool. Mm. So I like I that think, plan. Yeah. And they show both sides of mankind, don't they? Because you just said it there about the two old ladies in the house that grass them up to get food. So you've got like half of humanity trying to fight and save the world. And then you've got other people that are just selfish and looking after themselves, which I think is very true to form you know we've seen it a bit in the pandemic we're going through now you know some mm-hmm. people it's, it's shown the best and the worst side of humanity so that again i thought was great in the writing yes you know? yeah. yeah the only thing i'd like to have seen um just talking overall sort of story wise is i'd like to have seen um i'm not sure how they would have done this on the, off the top of my head production wise but a bit more of the world as this is happening so mm. maybe like a few people sat around a radio who are in france or in russia or you know australia or something like that who are kind of communicating with each other knowing that there is a resistance going on somewhere you know the world isn't completely doomed and stuff like that so it's all very although it's a global um thing that's happening it feels it feels really isolated to just this one little corner of london yeah that's true you know so the because obviously the daleks plan is to blow up the earth's core and then replace it with this kind of new power system that they can pilot the Earth, apparently, and take it to anywhere in the universe. And that sounds just huge, yeah. massive plan. And it involves the entire world. But it's just we don't see anything at all like that. We don't see any scenes of, like, you know, other countries also trying to fight back against the Daleks. So other than that, 
he does have that big, really cool uh, epicness to it, which we, we don't see too often in Classic Who because of the obvious reasons of budget and uh, time and, and all that stuff. So There's definitely bits in it that do show the limitations of the budget and I think more than the budget, the time restrictions, mm. uh, the amount of time they had to make these. I mean, it, you feel like there's an apps. I mean, it is a classic, definitely, but there are definitely bits that suffer from the sort of budget and, and time. You know, you sort of think there's, the cameras are quite clunky, aren't they? So the shots are a bit restricted um they do great with the location stuff that really brings it to life there's a lot of movement in those scenes like the wheelchair you know we sort of follow it all the way up the streets of london and so there's great movement in certain scenes but other bits feel very static in the studio um i think the director who directed it um richard martin i thought that was somebody else for some reason um yeah, I think he does try now and again to put... There's a, there's a great shot of two Daleks where the camera's on a slight slant. Just makes the shot quite interesting towards the end. Um, so, yeah, there's scenes like that, but it does... I don't know, there are other scenes where it's very laboured. The, the scene with the ticking bomb, the loudest ticking bomb. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sounds like Windy Miller's windmill, yeah. that bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, there are scenes like that where it's really sort of... Oh, you're like, come on. Some of the production feels a little bit too laboured i mean the robomen the way they talk for example doesn't help i thought that gets really it starts to grind on your teeth a bit you know so there are sort of bits like that that just don't quite work they bring the production down a little bit but you know but then there are other bits which i think are absolutely epic i mean the dalek coming out of the thames is just genius brilliant yeah and i think the first shot it's i mean i'm unclear on this on the on the production notes it says the very first shot is a model Dalek coming out and then it cuts to the location of the real actor. But the, the, the actor says in an interview on the DVD that he was in there. I don't know. I'm a little unclear about that, but looking at it again, it might've been a model, the very first shot. And it's a very good Dalek model. I have to say the only thing that gives it away is the little bits of wood to the right seem mm-hmm. to be moving mm-hmm. in the model shot where they're not in the other shots. So maybe, maybe it is a model and the actor's, not quite remembering it right i don't know but mm. you know there are bits like that where you can tell they've really sort of put the time and effort in and then of course you get the ufo model which looks dreadful <laughs> so it's it's so hit and miss at times the production on this yeah you know, but it, but it, i still think it's up there as a classic i would definitely rate it it's definitely a classic, a classic yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah and i think that's due to padding it out a little bit so the scene you mentioned which is also there's a, a limitation with the set design as well in this one so that scene you're talking about I think it's the Doctor and um, Ian and somebody else who are sat on the step around the corner. And you've got the Robomen that are bringing this big bomb in. They're making so much of a racket (laughs) that it would be impossible for them not to hear what's going on. But the the Doctor and so on, they're just sat there and they have to sort of look... um, like they're, you know, in thought, this, yeah. yeah, looking around sort of thing while all this racket's going on. And it's not till they've left the bomb there and walked off and then they're like that. Oh, look, something's round the corner there. So the the set design is, is really small. One thing I did notice actually, the sets were tiny. Yeah. Tiny sets. And uh, I think they've got a lot of set. They probably had a small studio and I reckon... Because there's a couple of sets, isn't there? I reckon they are all crammed in there. So, yes. yeah, they are a yeah. bit small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So story-wise, dude, um, nice big epic, big. It's a good story. Big yeah. threat as well. Um, 
a, a common complaint that you and I have with with some monsters in in who be it classic or the modern era is that sometimes there's just not enough threat there you mm. feel like either their plan was flawed from the beginning or it just feels like there's the threat's not there enough and at the end the ending's a little bit lackluster because they never never going to win anyway whereas this one which makes it a, a one of the reasons why it's such a classic is because right up until the end the final episode almost they get thwarted all the time like mm. the when Barbara and Jenny they had that little ruse where they're talking to the Daleks and she makes a dash for the radio. Yeah. You know, and that gets thwarted and they get captured a couple of times. And uh, like we were saying earlier, some of the humans turn on each other and stuff. So all right the way through, however many plans they try to make, they always get sort of found out or captured or something by the Daleks or the robo people. So it's not, it's not until the last episode where they, they clog up the, the tunnel so the bomb can't go down enough. That explodes, wipes them all out and stuff. So the threat level is really, really prevalent throughout the whole thing, pretty much, which yeah. I love because um, when it's not there, it feels like they're kind of doing it for the sake of it. They're, they're doing it because this is just what you do in a Doctor Who story. Oh, I know what you mean. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so that especially, cool. over, especially over six episodes, you know, you've got to have the a good threat level to keep you to um invested haven't you exactly for those, for those yeah. six episodes I, I do like the daleks redesign as well i think you, you know another thing that makes them look a bit more imposing is they've they've got this sort of saucer on their back and they, they've got big bumpers now almost like a big bumper car they they look um yeah it's good redesign and like you said they've mixed up the colors a bit so you've got this sort of supreme dalek or whatever he is um he sort of goes from i, I never realized it was supposed to be the same dalek but i think in episode two he's sort of one panel silver one panel's black and then in the next episode he's all black um, oh, yeah. because they had yeah. they hadn't finished painting him or something <laughs> but yeah. i didn't realize that was, that was the same dalek so that's why he changes his look so yeah it's interesting that he obviously had a good <laughs> when, when he got himself finished uh, in the dalek spray area um for episode three but yeah i like the fact they've changed the design and, and you know, get different paint jobs on them and makes them look more interesting and stuff. And the eye looks different from previous story, I think, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. They tried, they did a couple of things with it as they went through the story, I think, as they were doing, as they were going through production, because not only that, but they changed the audio for the Dalek voices in the last episode as well versus the first five. So I think they tried out this new voice, this new ring modulator effect. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. So in the last mm. episode, they sound a little bit different. They got that more recognisable Dalek sound. And I think they stuck with that for the next however many Dalek stories um, for years after that, that, that more, um, yeah, modulated sound. Because up to that point, it was just, it, it was just somebody... Doing a voice, it wasn't doing it a bit like Barbara when she does it. She does, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Daleks, it. man, they are cool. They do have a bit of progression, which is great because mm. if it wasn't for that, throughout you know however many years afterwards, we still might have got the not as not as interesting sound for their voices and stuff. Mm. And cool. I think you do you do have to take yourself back to where this aired as well because I think it, like I said, when I first watched it after seeing the movie, I was disappointed at the whole production really. Um, but you have to sort of put yourself back to imagining this when it went out, and I think it would have looked 
pretty impressive for the most part you know uh, and especially the daleks um maybe even the sliver um the the i don't know if you've watched it but there's a, a little making of on the on the dvd sorry and um i think they they obviously couldn't get many people to be involved in it so you only get like three people talking and one of them is uh, nick evans who played the slither and he's really proud of it it's <laughs> just like he's like i was the slither in Doctor Who, and I was in a newspaper, and I couldn't believe that people <laughs> loved the Slither. He's really, really pleased to have been in it, you know. And uh, I love stuff like that. I just think it's great, you know. We look at it and laugh and think, "Oh, it looks terrible." But back then, he, <laughs> according to Nick, kids kids loved the Slither. They loved so it. They, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. It was a strange thing as well to have, wasn't it? Because um, nobody really knows where it's come from. No, it's like like you said, the Dalek's pet. I love that, the Dalek's pet. Yeah, I mean, at first I thought, is this some kind of weird mutated thing that's been mm. around as a result of whatever's happening on the Earth at the time? And I was, just, and I was like, okay, we'll, we'll find out at some point. But no, it's just like a glorified guard dog, I suppose. For um, <laughs> yeah. But um, reading a bit more into it, um, apparently they are native to Scaro. I found oh, that out right, after the right. fact, but it's not revealed... Um, we should bring that back. Bring back the slither, please. Yeah. Jimmy. Apparently they act as like guards for various Dalek installations across Scarrow and stuff like that, but right. not very good because they can't move very quick. No, a bit cumbersome. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. But that was kind yeah. of weird. But, uh, and then also it was, kind, it was, it was cool that they've, they reference sort of real world locations and stuff like that. So as we're going through the story, it's like, we need to get to Bedfordshire. Yeah. You know, and oh, where are we? Oh, I think we're, near St Albans or you know something's there and the mine is in somewhere in Bedfordshire that sort of thing so it was really relatable especially if you lived in the south of England or the UK you knew exactly where those towns were and stuff like that so it felt a little bit relatable yeah you'd be loving it as a kid wouldn't you if you heard that and you lived it you'd be like oh the Daleks are coming to Bedfordshire you know (laughs) you'd be really excited like you said it it does make it a bit more realistic I suppose if you know a place like that yeah Yeah. yes So story-wise, mate, all good. Production-wise, not too bad. Tiny, tiny sets, which mm. were a little bit cumbersome, but really it's just the charm of, of Classic Who from those days, really. It's, it, it's not something that you would ever sort of beat up on them about and start complaining heavily. It's just that nice old charm of, like, you know, wobbly sets, little sets, um, a bit clunky in terms of production that it's just plagued across all of that stuff because of yeah. constraints. You know, you hear the cameraman's footsteps every now and then and people knock into things and the cameras know. were so big back then, weren't they? <laughs> it was so clumsy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was wondering how they did the the filming of the, when they're doing the running through the streets of London. Cause I was thinking, well, what if they got the, ca- they might've got it on a car or something. Actually, I'm trying to think how they did that. Cause the cameras would have been so heavy. Um, they may have had it on the back of a car. I think they did. Yeah. Something yep. like that. But the, the location scenes um, look brilliant, don't they? I mean, even the derelict stuff, like that derelict mm-hmm. tube station they go to, I think it was Wood Lane, I think. Um, that derelict station just really helps to sell the idea that the Earth's been decimated. You know, it's a great location. And then obviously Big Ben and all the iconic stuff as well. You know, really, really great stuff. I love the location work. But they find some nice derelict bits to go with all the you know the the um sort of recognizable bits so obviously big ben let's put that in because everybody knows we remember they they do find some nice decimated locations as well to really help yes. sell that idea that the earth's been destroyed by the daleks i really like that 
Yes. They look yeah. really dirty and grimy, don't they? Yeah. And the perfect. docks, there's a bit with the Rover men on the docks. That's really cool. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it was Wood Lane, yeah. Wood Lane. Yeah. yeah. It did. It looked perfect, though, that kind of dystopian, um, uh, you know, the world's gone to crap. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of war-torn sort of look. Yeah, it did look really good. Yeah. But those scenes, I mean, they were, I think they had to get up on like ridiculous o'clock. Oh, they to, were yeah. They wouldn't be able to film it now, would they? No, There'd be like no. a group of people watching and, oh, it'd be a disaster. <laughs> They'd never be able to film it now. Yeah. No, it did look good. Uh, Character-wise, then, let's speak about some peeps that were in it. Mm. Uh, what about... We'll come on to the main cast in a second, but um, uh, what about the, uh, uh, the, the, the professor that's in the wheelchair? Because um, he's he, he claims anyway that he's got the key right. He's in, he's come up with these bombs. Um, he's got the scientific stuff all down, um, uh, and apparently they can uh, they can destroy the outer casing of the Daleks and stuff. Um, and uh, what was his name? You know the guy in the in the uh, wheel- is it Dortmund in the wheelchair? Is it Dortmund? I think it's Dortmund. Alan Judd, yeah. And uh, so he was um, he was an interesting character, wasn't he? Because he's absolutely adamant that the resistance should stick around. They should fight because at that point when we first meet him and the other people of the resistance, they're like, look, you know, this is not going well. We need to move on because we're going to get found and stuff like that. And he's like, no, 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 we should stand and fight. You know, my bombs are going to. Yeah, Dortmund. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, they're going to take care of the Daleks. You'll see sort of thing. And they ultimately end up failing. The first round, anyway, as we knew they yeah. would. Um, but he's that... The, 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 the characters that are around that whole resistance movement, I guess. So people like Dortmund and obviously um, David um, and uh, and Carl and, you know, Craddock. You know, that these people are... They've all... They've, the, the writing was really well done because they all share a common goal. Basically, it's survival, right? The we need to survive and that doesn't include taking on the Daleks. Whereas Dortmund's like, no, 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 don't worry. It's going to be fine. Take these bombs, you know, you'll take them out. And it ends up in a bit of a bloody, they just get wiped out. Don't know. They had that big old standoff, Uh, you know? Yeah. But I I like that. Yeah. Because it's, he's like representing that, like you said, that sort of bulldog British spirit of we are going to just, you know, I'm going to wipe them out with my bombs. And he goes out there and just gets obliterated. So I, I like the character because he's just, he's representing the, we will not be defeated, you know, uh, sort of attitude. Um, and yeah, of course he gets, you know, gets beaten, but, mm. but it's that spirit, isn't it? Of, you know, you can't just give in to these guys. He's yeah. like the morale. He's like the morale of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know. And he does sacrifice himself as well. As later on, yeah, in order yeah. for um, Barbara and Jenny to escape, kind of sacrifices himself. And uh, I think he, he, he cuts loose on the Daleks with bomb version two, I mm. think, <laughs> and, uh, and takes it out. So, yeah, that was kind of cool. But, um, yeah, I like the word as well, the, the component that makes up the... Um, uh, the the casings of the Daleks, the uh, Dalekanium, Dalekanium, yeah, <laughs> which is a uh, which is a, a new component of his bomb, apparently, which uh, which goes on to work. But yeah, he was a cool character, and I think yeah, for the exact reason that you've just said, he he's kind of the voice of the 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 
the stiff upper lip of the British people back then. That's it. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of. We will not be defeated, sort of thing. I, I think it was a nice performance from Alan Judd. I think he's good casting for that because he's he's very different to uh, Tyler, isn't he? Who's a, who's I think actually I noticed watching this again yesterday. A lovely more subtle performance um, from Bernard Kay who plays Tyler. He's more quiet, isn't mm. he, and, and quite thoughtful. And uh, he gives a really, a, a more, I don't know if this, I was going to say a more realistic performance. What I mean by that is some of the actors in this one, their performance is good, but it's almost like a theatrical stage performance. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get somebody like Bernard Kay who's giving more of what I'd call a television performance. It's not, so, it's more understated. Yes. And uh, yeah, he, I, I just thought Bernard Kay was very good as Tyler and a good contrast to Dortmund, if you like. Yeah, because you can tell that they're both, they both want the best for, yeah, for yeah. people, but they just want to go about it a different way. That's right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, Tyler, I think he's more of a, well, you know, we'll continue to lay low. And, you know, if there's a bit of a sniff that our our base at the minute is found out, then we need to sort of, you know, move on and, and keep going. Like survival is like the key, whereas Dortmund's just like, yeah, but if we don't defeat them, they're going to keep coming. So we'll be on the run forever. That's not going to work. Let's stick, you know, stick around Dor- and stuff. Dorman just wants to get stuck in, doesn't he, basically? Yeah. He's like, Listen. come on, let's get in. Yeah. But Tyler was cool, though. I mean, to be fair to him, he does last until the end, which is rare. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah. Which is rare. And um, yeah. And I think Susan starts to sort of like him as well as an authoritative figure because she's had that with the doctor for so long. And then when she obviously starts to fall in love with David, he's mm. not, it sounds very disrespectful, and it's not, but he's more of a kind of foot soldier. You know, he's never really taken the lead because of people like Tyler and Dortmund, Tyler and Dortmund being around. He hasn't had to. He's just, you know, doing his part. Whereas I think Susan quite likes the fact that those characters like Tyler are around because now that everything's, you know, been, you know, the Daleks are gone, they're going to need people like that as they start to rebuild everything and stuff. So yeah, very well written characters. Those, those two, Dortmund and Tyler. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and the character that stood out for me as well, which I hadn't previously when I'd watched this, uh, was Jenny, uh, and Davis. Um, she gives a great little performance in this. Mm. And, um, I don't know why I just had sort of really hadn't I'd forgotten about a character completely before, uh, re-watching this again yesterday and I thought what a lovely performance she gave um she works very well with Caroline Ford I think oh no sorry um with uh Jacqueline Hill Barbara because they're both quite strong characters sort of fighting for the same thing but also there's sort of clashing swords a little bit aren't they in the way that they should go about it so I thought those two work really well together like you say when they get captured and when they're trying to steal the van to, to escape and all that sort of stuff um, and and I tell you what, I know we're going to come on to Jacqueline Hill in a minute, but Barbara really gets stuck in. I absolutely <laughs> love it. She just she's right in there running over Daleks, and um, you know trying to uh, escape in the Dalek ship and telling the Daleks to, you know, uh, the, the Robo Men to destroy the Daleks. She really gets stuck in in everywhere, throwing bombs. <laughs> you know, she's great in this. But I thought, yeah, Jenny also is a, a good character to be by Barbara's side in this. I think they work well together. Yeah, they do. Yeah, Jenny is a cool character, actually. She is cool, yeah. And uh, it's kind of heartbreaking as well. There's a couple of heartbreaking bits. I'll come on to one in a second. But when Barbara and Jenny go into that old 
house somewhere to find shelter because there's a big storm. Those two, those two women who are making the clothes, old the old crows, yeah. yeah, they're making clothes, aren't they, for the slaves that are working in the mines, and they've kind of got like an unwritten agreement with the Daleks. You know, the Daleks will leave them alone as long as they keep providing materials and stuff for the miners. It's like a, a two and you know, two way thing going on. And yeah. you knew, didn't you? You knew that they were up to no good because um, there was no subtlety about them. The way that they were dressed in, you know, they got that old sort of witches in the woods <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, kind of thing going on. And yeah, you knew that when she left, that she was going to get the Daleks or the robo people to come and sort them out. You just knew it was coming, which is heartbreaking. I think Barbara even clocked it, didn't she? She's like, where's she going? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, she kind of knew, I think. Yeah. yeah, that was a cool little scene, though. It was a nice little distraction mm. from what was going on. It was a, it really made you feel like there was multiple things happening at this point. You know, people going yeah. off to do stuff. It was cool. Yeah, because it was good to think that, um, you know, like you said, it's another thing to throw into the mix. The, the Daleks are not just killing all the humans. They're not just robotizing. You know, they've got these two... Uh, old crones that they're, they're getting to make the, the whatever they're doing, you know, so they're, they're working with the Daleks. It's, it's another sort of interesting little uh, factor in the story, you know, that yes. the Daleks are more, you know, they're, they're intelligent enough to sort of use people in different ways. You know, they're not just killing machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. yeah. Another character that stood out for me only had a small part, but uh, as a guy called Larry, Larry. Uh, played by Graham Rigby, he was the guy that, he was desperate to get to the mine in Bedfordshire because his brother, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he, he yeah. wanted to find his brother. And it, that was the other heartbreaking bit where he gets mm. there and then he runs into his brother, but he's been converted to a robo person. And yeah, you can just yeah. see in his face, he's like, no, Phil, like his brother Phil is like, Phil, it's me. It's Larry, but it's too late at that point. And there was a point where uh, Phil is talking to them. I think Phil was played by... Uh, who was it? I doesn't say immediately, but um, he was talking to them. And Larry's pleading. He's like, look, you remember me, your brother, remember your wife and all that lot. And his voice just starts to break a little bit. And you think, is he going to like, he going to turn, turn on that bit of his brain and sort of come out of it? But he doesn't. And that's heartbreaking. So, you know, he ends up, yeah, a bit of a, uh, that was, that was for me like the, the the moment where the writers were like, okay, this is as dark as we're going to take it, mm. because th- this story has the potential to be really dark in a lot of areas. But oh yeah, you know. But this is like the probably the darkest we're going to take it. Where he's found his brother, that moment of elation is like dampened within a microsecond because he sees him as a robo person. Yeah, so that was a cool bit of the story actually. It is, you know, you're right though. It, there are really dark stuff in this i mean if you think about the very first scene is a rover man committing suicide yeah. he just walks yeah. into the thames uh, because he's obviously like you said <laughs> maybe a bit of his brain has switched on to yeah. you know to the person he used to be yeah, yeah so that's pretty dark <laughs> that is dark i'm not laughing at that bit um because that was a yeah you're right it's a dark way to open up the whole story yeah um but what i found funny is it goes back to what i was saying earlier about these tiny little sets where they land the TARDIS and they're walking around. Nobody notices the big-ass poster on the wall. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's not until later where they're walking around and William Hartnell he does this, tries to act it out well, where he's surprised all of a sudden, like, ah, 
come and look at this uh, get this post on all <laughs> it's been there the whole time it's about 10 foot tall it's huge massive words and everything and nobody nobody sees it even though they're walking around and stuff like that so but yeah that that bit, bit at the beginning where he just yeah just dives, dives into the river it's like bloody hell it's the very first scene as well it's pretty pretty bleak yeah bleak stuff leakage yeah 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 you're right about that site that cracks me up and I, I love the fact that hartnell gets so cross with susan when she brings all the you know the bridge down in front of the tart he's like oh you stupid guys yeah. he actually says that line and i'd forgotten it was in this he says what you need is a jolly good smack bottom which you know they <laughs> they reused in uh twice upon a time didn't they with um david brandley but yeah i'd didn't realize well i'd forgotten it was from this story when he says that but yeah yeah he's properly having a, a good old go isn't he yeah oh the 60s eh yeah when uh <laughs> smack bottom was all you needed to correct a little bit of bad behavior yeah i can't say that now i can't say that now but yeah that was funny not yeah mm-hmm. and it was funny because she's kind of just being what susan was just I, doing what a woman of her age or a, would do you know she's the youngest of the group She's, you know, she wants to go off and explore and find out what's going on and have a look. And just unfortunately, she ends up bringing the bridge down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did. I did write actually at this point uh, in my notes. I put the they the re- one of the reasons I absolutely adore this TARDIS team is because they feel like a family, don't they? And I don't mean fam because I freaking hate that that in the new series, fam. But they do feel like a family. You've got like the Doctor. And Susan and, the, you know, this sort of grandfather relationship and him getting cross at her like he would a school kid. And then you've got the, you know, Susan, uh, sorry, Ian and Barbara, who are like this sort of the two teachers as well. But they really do gel. You know, it's, it's we talk about sort of a crowded TARDIS team earlier and giving everyone something to do. But, yeah, there's a real family feel to this TARDIS team, which I which I love. And they, they all seem to get something good to do in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they do. It does feel like a... Like a proper fam, but in a good way. Oh, it, oh, it gets one back. Up. I know, I know. They do feel like a family, but in, they a, do. in a way that um, <laughs> it has the potential to, to go wrong. It really does because of Ian and Barbara. Because before they came along, it was just the Doctor and Susan mm. doing their thing. But with Ian and Barbara, they have if it if it's not written correctly they could potentially take over but they don't you know they have a at first it's a bit rocky isn't it with the doctor there's a few rocks between ian and the doctor oh and yeah 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 it's not all plain sailing but it gets to a point where they all know where the other one is if that makes sense it's um you still have that underlying thing of ian and barbara wanting to go home obviously because when they land in london at this point they're over the moon yeah. it's not until they realize that something's not quite right that you know things start to go south but they're over the moon a bit like you know tegan wanting to go back to <laughs> you know somebody they want to they go back you can tell but while they are traveling with the doctor they do have this um this cool dynamic which is cool cool cool, cool. It's, it's, i'm saying cool a lot today it is cool mm-hmm. yeah it's cool i gotta say it's quite fun isn't it in the sort of um classic era where the doctor can't really well it depends <laughs> some most of the time he can't seem to control the tardis especially in the hartnell era um <laughs> and davison sort of had that at times and other times he could go exactly where he wanted so but it's, it does add a fun element when mm. the doctor doesn't really know how to control it properly and could end up anywhere yeah oh man <laughs> now, they, now they can go exactly where they want can't they in the new series so yeah just do a hop and a skip oh mate that opening scene is painful to watch though 
It's well, just it's the, the camera's up high inside the TARDIS. And uh, you just see the Doctor walking around, flipping a few switches. Yeah. And it goes on forever, it feels like. There's no speech. There's no <laughs> anything there. Yeah, I must admit, I thought that. I thought, like, what, is the, what was Hartnell told to do here? Because it's almost as if he's rehearsing like uh so i'm just going to go over to look at this bit and then i'll probably move over here because yeah it doesn't seem to be no well it's kind of what, happening kind of what you were saying though where the doctor it feels like he doesn't really know how to do something with the tardis at this point he's just flipping mm. some random switches and he's got his little hanky and he's like mm, mm, mm. dear 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 yeah and then well, about it, yeah. five minutes later <laughs> he's like come and have a look at this susan what's what's going on and then the story kind of kicks into motion at that point but it's just that really weird little moment where there's no dialogue there's no music it's just that little background hum of the the TARDIS mm. interior and the, I don't know it, it's weird but yeah it, it just all adds up to that kind of does the doctor really know what he's doing with this it's, it's yeah I was gonna say I was gonna say I suppose that's the thing with a story like this when they filmed this back in the day it's almost filmed like a live theater production so they would only really cut and go back if they had to it's all kind of done live in studio whereas this is a story that if it's made a little bit later and they were properly filming and editing and tightening up shots like you know that that you know this story would benefit a lot from that because there are a, lot, a few scenes where you're there's a so much sort of not going on that could have been cut you know just trimmed scenes could have been trimmed to make this really flow uh, would be amazing, I think. But there are, yeah, like yeah. scenes like that where you're sort of thinking, what, what's he doing? You're waiting for him to say a line. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. He's, yeah. Have they shouted action yet or is he still? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we get the, the windows in the TARDIS. They've fallen it's, open. It's a bit like, you know, having the windows down in the car when it's a bit warm. They've got the little yeah. <laughs> the windows open, haven't they? <laughs> they, they they've designed uh, Jodie's TARDIS windows to do that, yet we've never seen it on screen. But I remember in the publicity shots, um, thinking, oh, that's a nice touch, that's a nice nod to the original prop, but we've never actually seen it on screen, I don't think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Did you notice the back of the TARDIS was missing as well? When you, There's one shot, I think, where all the rubble's falling on it, and um, you can actually see through that window that's open, you can actually see through the back of the TARDIS prop. I think it's because they used to walk through the back of the TARDIS to come yes. out, you know, because there's mm -hmm. too many of them to be in it. Um, so the TARDIS hasn't got any back to it. Uh, but it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. But yeah, you can see that there's no back to the TARDIS. Oh, okay. No, I didn't see. But that through, makes through sense. That, through yeah. that window. Yeah, you can see it through the window. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Now let's talk about main cast then. Yes. Uh, so Ian and Barbara, let's get them done. So yeah, we've spoken about Barbara. Jacqueline Hill, she, she has a good one, doesn't she? She's great in it, isn't she? She really, really um, puts, you know so much effort into her performance and she's given loads to do and she really gets stuck into the action. Um, I, I, I just think Barbara's brilliant. Yeah. I, lo I love Jacqueline Hill. Yeah. Her hair's huge as it's well. It's massive, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. massive in this story. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic performance from her. Um, yeah. Ian Russell, I mean, just consistently brilliant as well. I just love those two. Um, I know I keep saying I love them, but I just genuinely do. There's something about Ian and Barbara that has that sort of sixties, simplicity to them but they're so such warm characters i just i don't know i just think they're brilliant in in's always good for getting stuck into a ruckus as well but he it's more barbara in this one i think you know but ian gets to do the stuff with the bomb though which is pretty cool yes yeah that's cool but um yeah ian um 
uh, he, he's another such a great character because you can rely on Ian. You know what I mean? It's not. Yes, a, absolutely. Yeah. So when the doctor sends him off or he decides he's going to go off and do mission A, uh, you can pretty much guarantee that he's going to do it in some way. He's very, very strong. Mm. Um, but no, not any stronger than than Barbara. He's just, um, he's got that just dependability and that kind of focus is like, right, you know, we need to do this. And there's a bit where he, he, um, he's with Larry. I think he's with Larry and, uh, he's making his way somewhere and he goes into this shack to meet this guy. who's going to take them out of London towards Bedfordshire and stuff. It doesn't quite work. It's just before they have the slither thing going on. They're in that hut. Is that, that Nicholas, is that Wells, the Nicholas Smith? Well, yeah. He pulls the gun on him. Yeah. And he doesn't back down. He's got a gun in his face and he's just staring this guy out. Mm. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm, you're going to take, he's going to do this thing. He's just got that strength. And even when he's, you know, this guy could have easily shot him because they don't mess around, it seems, um, in this particular, whatever, you know, time bubble of what's going on. Humans, like you said, we see the worst in people and he's he's very close to being shot right there, but he doesn't back down. He's just, yeah, I love that about him. So, yeah. Uh, the dependable is yeah. a good word, I think. If you say in Chesterton, dependable, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so Susan and the Doctor. So throughout the story, Susan, mm. she kind of um, she's in it quite a bit, but I wouldn't say that she she has stuff to do like Ian and Barbara do. She's more kind of well, it's the love interest, isn't it? That's written in with David. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's kind of the focus in the last half of the story because there's a bit where they're having some time out, they've got a fire going and they have a cheeky mm. little kiss before the doctor turns up. Uh, and, yeah. You know, so it's that's the love interest part of it is the main focus for her. But up to that point, she's just sort of, you know, nipping around. She's hurt a foot. She can't really do much. Um, yeah, I mean, I rolled my eyes when she twisted her ankle again. <laughs> I'm like, oh, for goodness' sake, Susan. Um, yeah, it, it's night. I mean. Hartnell's not in, uh, which he's not in one of the episodes, is he? There's, I think it's episode four. He gets written out because he just mysteriously collapses at the start of the episode. Um, and, and for once, I don't think it's because he was on holiday. I think I read in the production notes, he, during a sequence, he bashed his back yeah. on one of the big clumsy camera rails and um, hurt himself. And so he, they gave him a week off to recover because he was you know, uh, quite hurt. So, um, so he's written out of episode, I think it's episode four and, um, or five. And, uh, that actually normally when your doctor's not in it, you do notice as I think, especially in the black and white area, like, no, oh, the do- doctor's on holiday again or whatever, but it does give Susan and, um, uh, David time to, to actually bond because before rewatching this, I thought that their relationship was a bit sudden. I remember thinking, she just kind of goes off of him at the end, but there is actually a bit of progression. And I think mainly in that episode, like you said, they get to do stuff together and they're sort of plotting how they go to feed the Daleks and they do become quite close. Um, and then when Hartnell does come back into it, there is a lovely scene when he sort of interrupts them, but he mm. knows that he's done it. And he's really, it's a really um, beautiful performance from Hartnell. He plays this sort of, he's sort of pleased to see that Susan's, you know, building a relationship with David, isn't mm. he? There's a sort of a smile on his face of uh, something cooking here. I think <laughs> he says between you two, and uh, so he's he's liking it. But you can also see he's heartbroken because he can see that he's losing Susan. So 
I like the fact that there is actually a little bit of a progression and build up to to Susan leaving, which to be honest, I'd forgotten. I, I always in my mind think she just kind of goes off at the end with him. But there is there is some nice little moments between two of them. Yeah. And I think Hanel not being in the episode gives them a time to to write a bit more between those two. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think he's in uh the end of tomorrow. Whatever one that is. I think that might be episode four. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's not in that one. So yeah, it does give the that other part of the story a bit more a bit more breathing room. Yeah, because he he just does collapse, isn't he? We don't see him again for uh, a whole episode and then just that's the bit where he, he wakes up, but he's a bit drowsy and stuff, and you're not sure what's going on, but then he starts whipping that, that dude with a stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. his back was all right by then. Yeah, he's back to yeah. normal, yeah. Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, so Susan, she's... Um, Caroline Ford, she is she is very good, as as always. She just... It, she's a bit whiny, that's the only problem. Yeah, she just... She doesn't really come into her own until the last episode, where it's mm. all about David and sticking around and she's finally found somewhere and someone where she can sort of build her own life because she does actually say you know she's been with she's been with her grandfather for so long and she needs him and stuff but and it's a lovely like you were saying Hartnell plays that stuff really lovely because there's a bit where he's got her shoe at the end he's like oh, I'll fix this for you sort of thing but mm. he just hangs around outside the TARDIS and he sort of eavesdrops on what she's saying and then she has the whole heartbroken thing, like "Don't make me choose between you and and grandfather and all that stuff." I, I, I love the yeah. way the TARDIS door just slams shut. Yeah, you know it's so yeah. harsh, but it's so Hartnell, isn't it? It's kind of needed though, right? Because she's yeah, quite. Yeah. Un- if he wasn't to do that, she might not she have taken the go. chance. Yeah, she was going to go back with the doctor. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was needed. It's like tough love, you know. It was needed. Mm. Uh, so that's the best thing for her. And then that final speech, you know, he gives. Mm which is um, iconic yeah, emotion, man. It's really emotional. I wonder what it would have been like to have heard the full speech though, because um, apparently in that last bit, they knew that it was going to be a bit of a technical challenge to, to film some of that stuff at the end. And um, apparently there was like sound and camera issues and stuff. And it was making Hartnell just, you know, fluff his lines. I had to do it a couple of times. Mm. Um, and apparently on the final one, the take that they used, he missed out a couple of lines from the speech. Yeah, yeah. Be- because he'd been messed around a little bit with these technical issues. So I wonder what the full speech was. It's, it's not, I don't think anyway, could be wrong, but I don't think it's noted down anywhere what the full speech actually is. I don't know. Mm. Um, but it's a lovely little speech, though. I mean, it's been used to death, hasn't it, throughout? Yeah. I mean, we use it on our intro here. and I know, I thought that, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, but it's classic, though. I don't think it'll ever be old. It get too old. I think it's just iconic, it, isn't it? It's got to be up there as one of my favourite moments in Who. I just think the delivery is brilliant, and I don't know. It's sort of so perfect. Like, like you said, the fact that there were lines missed out between takes um, does make you think. Oh, I'd love to have heard the full speech, but it's so what we do get is so perfect. I don't know. Maybe it's right that. He did cut lines for whatever reason. It, it, it's a great speech. I mean, Hartnell is so good in this story throughout the whole episode. But my goodness, does he shine in that last scene? And I, like you said, I love the bit where he takes the shoe and he's like, "I'm going to have to mend this for you, aren't I?" And he's, but you can tell he's really thinking, "I've, I've got to, you know, I'm not, I'm going to let you go," mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and, and he delivers the speech brilliantly. 
and that you were talking about the sets being small and close together. So, according to the production notes, the TARDIS set where Hartnell's delivering the speech was right opposite the bridge set where Susan and David were stood. So he was actually almost saying it whilst looking directly at them because the TARDIS set was right opposite the set. So he's delivering that speech actually looking at Caroline Ford. And Hartnell, although you can see the emotion in, in his delivery, would have been feeling emotional because he'd grown so close to the Caroline Ford at that point. They had become very close in, in a sort almost like a sort of grandfather relationship. He was very protective of her uh, to the point where he would sort of almost tell her off if he thought she was dating the wrong guy <laughs> or, or spending her money. I don't know. She said he was so protective of her and they got on ever so well that delivering that speech, I think you can, you can feel a bit of Hartnell's emotion mm-hmm. coming through. Uh, in it which really helps sell it um but yeah i think you're right there were according to production the first take was ruined by a camera so we had to do it again and then he fluffed his lines and and then i think the third take you're right they got what we saw Mm -hmm. on screen but you can imagine his sort of frame of mind of having to deliver this goodbye speech and feeling all that emotion because he you know was saying goodbye to Caroline Ford, who he'd grown very sort of fond of. Um, so, yeah, it must have been quite a tense or I would say emotional and tense yeah. situation in the studio. But it's on screen. It's magic. It's such a good um, performance and it's such a great moment, I think. The, the only thing I would say is if, like, the bit that's always irked me is it, it is quite dour. So I love the speech, love Hunter's speech, but the bit with Susan and David walking off is almost too depressing. Like, <laughs> if I'd been the director, I'd have said, okay, you've, you're leaving now. You, the scene is done. Just all we need is a little look between the two of you to say, like, it's going to be all right. Or, you know, we're off to sort of mm-hmm. build our own work. They, but they just sort of solemnly walk off as if they're manically depressed. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I you know, get the emotion, but we should have had a little smile between the two of them. But instead she just drops the TARDIS key on the floor, which I find really odd as well. Cause I don't know why you would do that. Yes. <laughs> I get the, I get the symbolism, but why would you do so that the, you know, it's I'm nitpicking, but it's always slightly, I find the ending slightly dour, but it's um, absolutely made up for by Hartnell's speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little bit depressing. All it needed really mm. was, like you said, either a look between them and a smile to say, yes, everything's going to be cool. I've made the right choice. Yeah. Or it just needed to cut back to the TARDIS with the three of them. And Ian and Barbara are talking about whatever. Oh, that was a crazy adventure, that one. We almost never made it, girl, and all that stuff. And then it's like, right, off to the next adventure. And that Come on, Doctor. So, you know, yeah. a, a, some sort of comfort from mm-hmm. it needed something because it, it is just a little bit too dour. Mm-hmm. And um, the music as well. Uh, it's one of my few negatives throughout this whole story is yeah. the music um, <laughs> throughout the story is not good. Uh, the end music's horrible when she's leaving. It's a horrible soundtrack. Um, <laughs> the, the scene with the Daleks in the location sequence is this weird... Sounds like somebody falling onto a drum kit for about five minutes. It, I really don't like the music in the serial. It's one of the few things that negatives I have about it. Yeah, you know, I, I get Chagrin. Is it stock music or did he compose it especially no, for No, he composed it, yeah. Really? Oh, God, because yeah. it's so bad. I assumed it was stock music. Um, nope. God, he composed it especially for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't like the music in this serial at all. But mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, apologies uh, earlier. I found the, the missing lines in the speech. Oh, you found it? Oh, of well. course, yeah. They'd be, of course, they'd be written down somewhere. But, oh, um, of course. So the first one, which should have appeared early on in the speech, apparently is, work hard, both of you. Be gentle with her, David, and show her that life on Earth with love and understanding can be a great adventure. And then the second line that was missed, which was meant to be right at the end, was, and remember, love is the most precious jewel of all. That's a bit cheesy. I like the first bit. Yeah. So, to be honest with you, mate, I quite like it how it is without those I lines. Do. Yeah. I do as well. And can you imagine in this day and age, like an actor, because I can just see Hartnell now on take three saying, oh, I'm not bothering with that, dear boy. I'm not doing that. I'll, I'll say it how, you know, I can just imagine him just doing it how he wanted to do it by the third take, having, you know, it's had enough. And um, <laughs> so, but can you imagine an actor now turning around and saying, oh, I'm not saying that bit. You know, I'm not doing that bit or or forgetting to say it and then then daring to say, could you do it again, Bill? Certainly not. <laughs> so or maybe they just he did it and they thought, oh, he's missed a bit out. But actually, that was so good. Let's just leave it. I don't know. I don't know how it ended up being how it was, but I'm, I'm kind of glad in a way, mate. I don't like the other line. I mean, the first bit's all right, but love and a jewel of what? I don't know. Love is the greatest jewel of all. No, don't need yeah. that. No, I'm kind of glad. Yeah, it's kind of cool with that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect how it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Have I got anything else in my notes? No, I've got nothing else, dude. Have you got anything? No, not really. I, I just one last thing to say is that um, because Hartnell's always talked about as this sort of grumpy, quite irascible character, if you watch the extras, um, people always say, like, if you got on with Hartnell, he was great. And uh, I think a lot of the main cast got on with him and they really there was a charm to Hartnell. I think a bit like his doctor, you know, if you got on well with Hartnell, he was brilliant. If you didn't, he let you know it. And, um, Caroline Ford took a camera in to film some studio footage, uh, on her last day, which obviously back then for someone mm. to have a video camera was quite something. Unfortunately, it's double exposed, um, because she was recording on a video she'd already used or something. So it's a bit distracting to watch because you're watching, amazing studio footage of William Hartnell on the, you know, on the sets and he's laughing and joking. And it's a shame there's no sound because you really get to see the, the beautiful side of, of William Hartnell as a person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately there's this sort of other film layered over the top of it. So it's like watching two films at once. It's very distracting, but, but it's still lovely to see. And, uh, you know, I, I'll defend Hartnell because, you know, I just, I know he could be irascible as a real person, but you can see it was a, a you know, a, a nice person under that sort of front. Uh, but yeah, I guess if you got on the wrong side of him, you probably not. You know, I think some of the uh, cast actors said they're a bit frightened of him. He had a chair that you didn't dare sit in, apparently. Otherwise, you got both barrels. <laughs> I, he just sounds like his doctor to me. You know, like he could switch from charming to blowing your head off in one blast i think so but yeah it just just love it just absolutely love it yeah no i agree dude i agree 100 <laughs> percent. can you imagine sitting in hartnell's chair oh my gosh <laughs> um right yeah i mean to be a fly on the wall dude back in that time and yeah that's what that's, that's a great way of putting it that's what this video kind of gives you although it's 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 just a fly on the wall of being in that in a studio with hartnell and um Susan and everyone else, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it, love it. Right, okay, scores then, dude. I think it's you to go first. 
Yeah, it is. I did find it a little bit hard to score. I'm going to give it um, an 8 out of 10. Um, I, I Just because I think it's a great story. I think the cast are great. It is let down by a few little bits, which is why I can't go any higher. But I can't really go any lower either, because I just think there's so many great moments in it, like the Dalek and the Thames and the end scene, which is just brilliant. And it's a good story as well. So I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Okay, dokie. Uh, I will give this an 8 as well, dude. Giving it an 8? Yes. Uh, very <laughs> similar reasons to you. It's um, it's a real classic, big, epic story and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, and it's definitely one that would recommend to, to viewers who want to get into the Hartnell era. Because um, even though we're losing a companion at this point with Susan, it's still, there's no big story elements that are affected by that throughout. It's right at the very end. So throughout most of the story, 99% of it, it's that TARDIS team doing their thing. So I'd recommend it for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Rightio. So an eight from both of us. What did our awesome listeners think to this one then? Kicking off first of all, this is Neil Campbell. What about you, gents? How's it going? The Dalek Invasion of Earth. I love this story and I so vividly remember it from my childhood obviously i'm talking here like early 90s but you know we had the old vhs tapes one had a purple head and the other was like a turquoisey color and i always remember that scene of the dalek coming out of the thames and i think it's one of the most iconic scenes in doctor who history obviously we've got the speech at the end you know between the doctor and susan which is outstanding on top of that, I love the first Doctor's brashness in this because, you know, the scene where he turns around to Ian and goes, I'm not a halfwit. And then there's also the scene on the spaceship where he turns around and goes, oh, please go away. He just can't be bothered with their, <laughs> with their companion in the cells. But like even in this story, you know, there's obviously the different Dalek ranks of command and stuff that's brought in in this, you know, the different colored Daleks. Um, I've already mentioned the scene of the Thames, you know, even the shots of London itself, you know, with the Daleks going around and there's that cool like sort of drum beating all when Barbara and Jenny are pushing Dortmund through the streets, you know, with the, in the wheelchair. Well, you have to like, look past it. I think it's a great story. It's one I've always fondly remembered and, and loved. So I'm going to give this a nine out of ten. Cheers. A nine. And nine, and he's right about Hartnell. Like, there's a bit where he says, "Don't call me Doc, all right, dear boy." Like, there's so many great scenes like that where he's putting people in their place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he is a bit. Um, although he's got a big heart in a couple of places in this story, he still has that old kind of grumpy, yeah, sort of grumpiness going on, doesn't he? Yeah, he's great. Mm. Yeah, nice one, Neil. Thank you very much, to you. A nine, a nine, good score. Yes. Right, uh, Sammy from Down Under. Gary and Adam Samusatine here. So, the Dalek invasion of Earth. Wow, what a story. It's good at making use of Barbara, Ian and Susan, which is tricky and certainly something later storytellers haven't mastered. Tribunal? It's the first time the Doctor decides to say out loud he's going to pit his wits against the Daleks. I like some of the side characters. Also, proactive scientist disabled person. Huzzah! Of course, let's grip our lapels and try not to cry at the doctor's speech to his granddaughter. He hasn't come back in the TV show. I always thought he should have with 12, because Peter would have nailed it, especially given he grew up with Hartnell. No tears, sorry doctor, but there were. Nine Dalek satellite dishes out of ten. See ya. (laughs) Another nine from Sammy. Another nine. This is good scores. 
so far. Yeah, and some good characters, Sammy, in this one. Mm. Huzzah, as you put it. <laughs> ah, another nine. Nice one. Uh, scores are rolling high so far. Let's see if this continues. This is TARDISnet 66. The Dalek invasion of Earth is a story that's very strong, and it's in the golden era of the Daleks, where the Daleks were at their very best. What's interesting is that I feel like this is a turning point in the Doctor's character, where the Doctor, having been influenced by Ian and Barbara, makes a decision to stand against the Daleks. This has some very strong Dalek imagery, with a great cliffhanger of the Dalek coming out of the River Thames, and seeing them patrol London, and rather dark and disturbed backstory, and seeing this small group of rebels banded together to stop the Daleks, brings desperate World War II vibes. Susan's love stories also built up in a very believable way in a time of crisis. I love the first Doctor's speech at the end. The main problem the story encounters is that it is overlong with a lot of padding, and Ian facing a non-threatening sliver creature is simply laughable and incredibly disposable. Also, I think some of the characters could have been better developed and integrated into the story, and the Daleks' plot of piloting the Earth around the universe is very silly and unconvincing, which could have brought the whole story down, but it doesn't because it's held up by other strong elements. Overall, I'll give it an 8 out of 10. An 8? An 8? Ah, Another strong score. That is another decent score, yeah. Another eight. Moving on, this is Mr. Seblane. Hello, Gary and Adam. I hope you are well. Um, so this week, it is the Dalek Invasion of Earth. And it's quite ironic that this story has been chosen, really, because this was the last classic that I watched. Um, so it's very fresh in my memory. Um, but I really enjoy the Dalek Invasion of Earth. I think it's a, an epic, really. And it's the first proper epic that Doctor has ever really done, knowing that it would be a really well-known story. Obviously, we've got all the, the London stuff, which is just incredible. Um, it looks great. It keeps my attention. The pacing is just very solid. Overall, it's a brilliant story. Susan's departure at the end, for the first ever companion departure in the show, it's done absolutely amazingly. I can't fault it at all, really. Um, apart from that, it's just a very good six-parter, and I love the Robo-Men as well, and I wish they returned in in future episodes, because they would be interesting to see. But yeah, I would give it an 8 out of 10. Bye for now. Another 8. Do you know, if they did the Rover Men now, it could work, actually, as long as they didn't have those droney voices. <laughs> it, could, it could work. Yeah, it was a bit laboured as well. It took them a long time to get their lines out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another eight, though, which is cool. Yeah. Good score so far. And lastly, this is Mr. Joe Turner. For me, Dalek Invasion of Earth is a little overrated. I found the first two parts a struggle, partially because the robo-humans were doing my absolute head in with their terrible attempts to act, well, to act somewhat robotic, but also there was way too much talking. Having said that, as it progressed into the final three episodes, my enjoyment improved significantly. I really respect how ambitious it is. For example, there is lots of location work in and around some of London's most famous landmarks, such as Trafalgar Square and the Houses of Parliament, and I feel they succeed in creating this ghost town vibe, which was rather eerie. The Daleks are good in this story, and I like that we see them having already succeeded in fading Earth. A personal highlight has to be Barbara ramming the absolute hell out of a Dalek with the truck, as well as the beautiful speech Harlem delivers as he says goodbye to Susan towards the end. The first time I saw that when I was younger was actually at the start of The Five Doctors. So overall, I'm going to give this episode a 6.5 out of 10. Thank you. A 6.5? You will... Join us. <laughs> Doesn't like <laughs> the Rover Man did his head in. I I can uh, appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely agree. Yeah, and it's an interesting point as well. Sorry, um, 
that we see Susan again, don't we? She pops up in uh, the Five Doctors. Do you know what? It, ne- it never mm. occurred to me because of the timeline thing. Yeah, it never occurred to me that that that's like you know the Doctor seeing Susan after leaving it. There's no sort of well, I guess they're being chased by a Dalek, but there's no scene of them like, "How's David? <laughs> How are you getting on?" Not even mentioned. But it's never occurred yeah. to me before. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys, for sending in your audio clips. Much appreciated, as always. Over on the socials on Twitter, we had uh, Seventh Son is short and sweet, just says one of the best, top tier. Richard Tipple says, the story that got me into Doctor Who. I adore it. Amazing from start to finish. I adore the Dalek telling Barbara about the unprovoked attack on the Dalek saucer. Mm. Uh, Interesting language as well around this time, uh, because back in the day, it was still flying saucers were the things they didn't really use much else for that which is cool uh, yeah. dr sinister says a vivid reassertion that daleks are fascists and that fascists should be more uh, should uh, fight with all of our might and not adorn our bookshelves like miniature golden calves mm. apparently Thank you very much. Uh, our writer, Jordan Shortman, says, not necessarily one of my faves, but still a brilliant story. I can imagine for a first-time viewer in the 60s, um, seeing Daleks in London would have been quite a shock. There's some great performances from the main cast, and Susan's departure is quite sad, if sudden. Hmm. Uh, Terry O'Fay says, such a classic, although the Susan romance felt a bit creepy. <laughs> Light-fingered <laughs> Fred <laughs> says, Dalek coming out of the Thames. Iconic. Doctor Who Home Uh, A classic sequel takes everything that worked in the first Dalek story and makes it even better, ambitious and iconic, an 8 out of 10. Although I do feel like the Cushing movie version is superior Mm. of the two versions. Mm. I love the Cushing movie. Yeah, Tom says, uh, the only thing I have to say is the the Doctor's goodbye speech to Susan is my favourite. Kevin John Davis says, my favourite story in 1978, I took a single Dalek across Westminster Bridge and up to 10 Downing Street for an amateur film. And in 1993, I did it again, this time with eight Daleks, a BBC One documentary film crew, and the so-called gentleman on the British press. We've got an insider who's done the job. Yeah, I saw the photo. It's brilliant. Yeah, very, very cool. Thank you very much, Kevin. That sounds awesome, by the way. Uh, Grumpy Git says, uh, Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10, wonderful London location film in a heartbreaking farewell. Um, Ian Thomas, my fave Dalek story and while it does utterly drag in places and it could probably have been formatted a better way I do really feel it takes um, a long time to get the characters together again uh, and the desperation of the characters especially because the Daleks ain't actually in it much Mm. yeah yeah. Uh, Chippy T I'll keep it brief, iconic locations speeches, storyline and characters tense, frightening and almost in brackets non-stop Great stuff, 9.5. Darren Lodge says the first sight of Robomen, a Dalek coming out of the water, Barbara smashing through some Daleks with a lorry and Susan's fish stew. (laughs) These are just some of the great scenes in the story, plus many more. This is such a sad ending. And lastly on Twitter, Cameron says, uh, since starting Classic Who, I've sometimes struggled with the Hartnell era. However, I think this particular story is awesome. It had my attention from start to finish. Probably my fave story I've watched so far. Nine out of ten. Nine, sweet. Great scores all round. Right, and Ooh. over on Facebook, Andrew Stewart. Now, these are really long, as usual, on Facebook. So just to summarise, Andrew Stewart says, so far I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I think it's a really good dialect story and makes them seem threatening. And the Doctor's brilliant in this. And the chemistry within the TARDIS team has really improved since they seem like great friends. He goes on to give it an eight out of ten. 
Cool. Uh, also, if Gary and Adam decide to go swanning off on holiday from now until the end of the new series, uh, they're in for a right smacked body. <laughs> no chance, Andrew. <laughs> Thank no. you very much. Uh, Jeff Waddle says, Remains a great watch just for the London scenes alone, but although it's a fun enough romp, it drags a bit in places. They did the best they could with the effects and the budget, but mm. it never quite feels as if the whole country slash world has been taken over. And it goes on to give it a 7 out of 10. Cool. Charlie Turner says, 57 years later and Susan is still waiting for your return. Uh, if we're not counting the five doctors. Uh, he said, anyway, perhaps the most overrated Hartnell story that you can what? watch of him to date, but a great second appearance of the Pepper Pots on wheels from Scaro. Uh, but does go on to give it an eight out of 10 though. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, Joseph Howarth. This was certainly one of my fave stories from the Hartnell era and is still to this very day. Only thing that lets it down are the Robermen. Uh, goes on to give it a nine out of 10 though. And lastly, Aaron Ball says a good story, slightly overrated. I will say, as they do tend to run out of story around episode four. Uh, mm. But Susan's exit is brilliant and Hartnell was brilliant in this. I love him. And the part one cliffhanger has top stuff. Overall, a great story. Eight out of ten. Nice. Dude, some great scores as expected for this one. Yeah, no, it's 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 really nice. I, I love the fact that um, this has got so much love. And I, I was so pleased to see how many likes and, and retweets uh, it got as well on the blue box you know it's, it's great I, lo- I love the fact that people are so into the classic era yeah, brilliant man. yeah love especially it. early ones yeah uh rightio that's going to do it for this so next week dude what do our what does our listener need to get ready for next week yeah so we'll be back to torchwood next week um with an episode called from out of the rain hmm. from out of the rain hmm hmm we're doing a bit of heart nowhere, aren't we? <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Out of the rain. Mm. Um, Do you remember that one? I don't remember this one, actually. No. This is one of the few ones I do remember, but not that well. But I do remember bits of it. Mm. It's like got a circus in it, isn't it? And an old film. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't watch the Next Time trailer either, either from when we finished with um, A Day in the... Sorry, uh, Something Borrowed. I didn't watch the trailer for this one. So I'm in the, I'm in the dark. Pretty much. I think it's got the chap who plays Davros in it, but the new Davros, uh, Julian Bleach. Oh, Bleach. I, think oh, okay. he's, I think he's in it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. Mm. We'll see. Okie dokie. Right then. With all that being done, that's going to wrap there for episode 318. All righty. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back and listening to us waffle on Doctor Who for another week. It's been great to have you here as always. That was episode 318 for 319. Next week, get your iPlayer fired up or your Blu-rays, whatever, and get that Torchwood episode watched from Out Mm -hmm. of the Rain. Sounds interesting. Uh, In the meantime, remember to uh, follow and subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you listen to your shows on, your podcasts on. Uh, That way you won't miss a show when it lands every single Friday. And if you've got a minute to leave us a review or a rating, that would be awesome. Something like podchaser.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any of those things where you can pop uh, a review on and stuff like that. And thank you to our uh, uh, listeners that have listened, uh, have left reviews. That's awesome. Helps us out loads and loads. Uh, head over to the website bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk listen to all the shows on there and you can also link off to various stuff 
First one being all the social channels are on all of those, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook being the main ones. Uh, there are links on the website. Come and give us a, a like and a follow so we can chat Doctor Who over there. And while you're on the website, remember to check out the reviews and articles from our writing team, uh, which is expanding, which is really good. We've got another new uh, writer that joined us last week um, officially. So Harry, he's going to have some stuff coming out soon, which is awesome. So that's all good. And remember to sign up to our Discord server. So completely free. Come and register and chat Doctor Who with plenty of other Doctor Who fans over there. Also, check out my co-host channel over on YouTube and the socials. It's all under the same name. It is The Geek's Handbag. Geek's Handbag, yes. Go have a look at my channel and stuff. Indeed. As the name suggests, there's plenty of geeky stuff to check out. So go and get a drink, get comfy, and go and check out all of Adam's stuff. Until next week, bud. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... 